Hey up. How's it going? It's Matty listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Yes, it's one of those where I talk to one of my oldest friends and get to call it work. Um, that's because my guest this week is the great John Bassett, also known as John Dragon, one of my closest and oldest friends from my years in this game and also, yes, indeed, a lifer par excellence. Apologies to all my French listeners. Um, I'm working on the accent. If you're a regular listener, you're going to know what that means. It's an exploration into how somebody with nothing more than their own smarts and an unquenchable passion for the sideways life has managed to create a life for themselves in which they're able to go riding as much as possible. It's that simple, really. Been a lot of these over the years. They're always very, very popular, um, and I always really enjoy them. And in John's case, it's a great story. So John's tale revolves around the Dragon Lodge, the legendary chalet and team that has been one of the epicenters of European snowboarding for a couple of decades now. I mentioned this in a recent Instagram post that is entirely thanks to the inclusive, infectious environment that John and his partner, Will Hughes, have created at the lodge and through which they share as far and widely as possible their own passion for snowboarding. And, you know, of course, businesses like John's have been hit especially hard by the events of the last year, notably COVID and Brexit, the double whammy. And that's something we did discuss during our conversation. It's a big topic that has lots of implications beyond whether a single business like Dragon Lodge will survive. Really, as we uh, kind of uncovered, it's about the type of opportunities we want to enable as a society. And, you know, you've got to ask the question, really, would it even be possible to set up a business like Dragon Lodge today? I think the answer to that is probably no, which to put it mildly is a crying shame given what places like this contribute to the fabric and culture of our little world. So we chatted about that. We chatted about John's own experience of 2020. Spoiler alert, he's had a shocker. We talked about the origins of Looking Sideways, which John had a huge hand in. And we also chatted about his involvement with new snowboard brand Island Snowboards with his equally legendary brother, Owain. As you can probably guess, I had a right old time doing this one with John. And I hope you can take as much from it as I've taken from our friendship over the years. I'll be back at the end housekeeping corner and all that but in the meantime here's me and John Bassett enjoy what a setting (laughs) second in-person podcast since March this John well yeah this this is it, by the way. This is oh, we're on it. We're on. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Get this wearing in straight away. This is <laughs> this is this is happening. Yeah. So we're in. Um, what is it? The eighth of December. Um, Sunday. Sixth or something, isn't it? Sunday, the sixth of December, twenty twenty. I'm with John in his back garden, in Hanover, in Brighton. We're doing. Uh, we're in tier two, so we're doing a nice socially distanced episode which is great because i've done so many on zoom and um you know it's all right but it's definitely better doing them face to face i don't know if i'd have done it if it's on zoom matt i gotta <laughs> say i'm ner- nervous enough anyway but you know yeah it's definitely it's nice to see you and to do it like this is a well i kind of thought we could catch up as well cheers and we've got a can each yeah yeah well, we've got I've, a fire on the sun's going actually. down it's lovely little wintry scene yeah. i mean i used 
I moved away from this part of Brighton seven years ago, and I, I, don't, I don't even know if I've been back to Hanover since. Well, this is kind of, apart from in the Alps, this is basically where we first met. At the, the first time I remember meeting you properly and having a chat was at Dover Castle, which is literally up the road, and you used to live when I first maybe met New Haven Chris. Street. Yeah. Yeah, we had Not that far. party. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first one I remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. I did know you, because I, cause I, well, I knew your brother more, didn't I? Because I'd yeah. met Owen, I'm going to say, that party, right? So when was that party? That party was 2001, and I'd met Owen, like, just around the Alps before that. And we kind of knew each other, didn't we? We kind of knew each other. You you probably met O in teen, because we started the lodge the season of 97, 98, and you probably met him out there because there were quite a few of people that we knew, like Marcus and Nelson and that lot out there. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, because I wasn't there full time, I was back and forth running the business side of it from here. So I, yeah, you'd met, you'd met, you'd met him a few years before and knew me, but first we probably sat down and chatted probably was that party in 2000, yeah. 2001, maybe? 2001, yeah. Okay. And I remember because you'd read the thing that i'd had in white lines which was about like we did a thing in white lines where we we did like a staff desert island discs thing and i'd put i'd done mine and you were like oh, i read your thing and you've got a really weird music taste <laughs> like mine <laughs> i think you had spaceman three on there or something I didn't had, you? yeah i had spaceman three Perfect prescription i had a lot of that weird well not weird but you know we're, me and you obviously got really similar music taste like got that into that strain of psychedelia that very particular strain yeah, absolutely yeah um and uh so we spent that night before that party sort of comparing having a well it's kind of how it's been since really having a very pleasant time talking about music and snowboarding yeah and, uh, yeah yeah and then there we go 20, that, 20 years 20 ago. years ago it's funny yeah. isn't it yeah what we were just saying as well like was it i mean it's not snowed in brighton for probably i mean like 10 years yeah, not really. Ten, no. Nine, ten years, and we, but it, it's two years. It really did. It proper dumped, didn't it? And um, yeah, there's a foot of snow. Yeah, there's a foot of snow around Brighton, and we we had a couple of years where we went riding, didn't we? And the first one we went up to Wild Park, which is like, um, I mean, it was it was all right, wasn't it? It was a it was a good steep pitch actually. That yeah. was of, of at least a hundred or hundred and fifty meters. That was good. Did the proper dickhead thing all the kids sledging yeah. built a little jump um and that was 10 years ago yeah, yeah. and we had a little and another another day up at your allotment if i remember rightly that was pretty good the cold yeah. the colder white hawk the colder white hawk yeah, yeah. That, yes that would have been about nine years ago as well yeah 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 funny but how you doing so you've had a shocker so you've so tell me what you've actually done because i've not seen you since you did this yeah so i decided that 2020 wasn't shit enough um so I, yeah, I broke the neck of my femur, basically my hip, um, six weeks ago, skating down at the level, just riding around the bowl, just kind of pumped over this hip, getting ready to kind of ride up the transition and pop out. And I just hit a little stone in the flat bottom and it threw me straight to the wall. Right. So nowhere to roll, nowhere to like dissipate the energy straight to my, my left hip and, um, so you just went, you literally just like dead impact. Just into straight the, into, into it, into basically. Like, like just going, just like riding into a wall, basically. Right. And um, yeah, broke it, displaced fracture, a little bit, a few little bits in there as well. Um, 
yeah, paramedics, fire service in there to get me out of the bowl, which was... I heard that. So you, they had to get, so you had to get, what, put on a sort of strap to a stretcher and lift it out, basically. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because, I mean, what, were you in the deeper bit? Well, I mean, even the, even the smaller bit is at least six foot, isn't it? Yeah, so, you're, not I mean, gonna, you're not gonna like, it's not, what, it's not one for the lads to try and carry you out, is it? I mean, they try, I mean, they were, there were a few of the crew there who were like, we can do it. And I was like, if you can get me on a thing, I'd be happy. But the paramedics weren't. So they called the fire brigade. I mean, luckily it was eight in the morning. It wasn't busy. You know, they were amazing. They came down, full crew. I think they probably quite enjoyed it, really. It was a bit different. Yeah. And then they got me out of there. Um, pretty much the most painful thing of my life, definitely the, the actual impact but then just that bit of moving before I got to the hospital and then yeah in hospital I mean like again amazing amazing NHS staff I was really lucky that we're here it's one of the specialist centers for this kind of injury which is more than a maybe like a kind of geriatric hip hip injury there's specialists here that um, basically work on road traffic accident style stuff that's what most of the people in my little trauma ward were on and um yeah, got a nice intramedular nail running from my hip right down to the, just above my knee, and um, that was six weeks ago. Yeah. So, and that and that is essentially like when you know older people fall over on on icy footpaths and it's, have have hip replacements. It's that kind of. It's roughly the same place. Yeah. So it can be like a little bit higher. Would have been luckily it was just below the hip, the hip, like the ball and. The ball joint and everything was were okay, so they were salvageable. I mean, if it was a little bit higher, they might have literally had to remove it and give me a hip replacement. Right. But where it was, and as they kept saying, which is quite nice to hear, that I was young compared <laughs> to what mostly that happens. It's, yeah. Like I say, it's, it's mostly older people falling. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they've got weaker bones, or like the other guys in my in my ward were all motorbike accidents and stuff. So it's you know it's quite a heavy impact. Um, yeah, so it's right at the top. It's basically a broken hip, but it's technically neck of femur. Right. Yeah, it's so, nasty. Yeah, right. And you sort of shattered it. So it wasn't like a clean break. It wasn't clean. It was displaced. And there's a few little bits in there, um, which I only really saw in the when I had the follow-up with the surgeon a few weeks afterwards. So, I mean, like, he he was... I mean, it's insane, really. I'm Even the day after, they got me out of bed and onto some crutches and said, if you're up for it, get working. Get that's that's the idea is just to kind of keep the blood flow keep get the muscles working yeah um, but you know i've still got a broken leg now you know i came to the door to meet you i can't believe how well you're moving to be honest this is the first time i've seen you yeah. obviously we've chatted on the phone and stuff but i i wasn't expecting you to be even when you messaged me and said give me a call and i'll come and answer the door i was like all oh, right okay so mm. it's like not i don't know what i was expecting but you seem pretty i mean obviously not going to be going down the shops or anything but you know you seem no. you seem pretty yeah pretty mobile well, I, yes, because I have got a rod from my, literally from above, all the way from the top of the hip, right down to literally just above my kneecap. And that's what's holding it in place while the bone heals around it. So, I mean, you know, usually they're, they're like, I've got a next appointment with a surgeon in mid-January, and that'll be three months, which is what they say would be the bone healing time. But I can put weight on it. So I'm just doing that, doing the work, um, physio exercises every day. Got the turbo trainer so I can start going on the bike. The surgeon said I can do that. Anything with no impact, really. And you can do. Yeah, so I'm doing that. I mean, it's you know, it's it's really painful. I'm still on some pain medication. I've, I'm trying to get off most of it, and I'm mostly staying positive and doing that. You know, last week was a shit week. I was it was a lot of pain and I was pretty down. And um, you know, it's just the kind of 
good support from my partner Sarah and my daughters and friends keeping me going through that. But I know that I can get back from it and the surgeon's really positive and it you know, it's not gonna be this winter, it's but like, you know, this You're time next year. Winter, mate. <laughs> well, you know, to be positive again, if if I was gonna do this, you're gonna miss I, any one I of them. Pick the right winter, haven't I? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's not not a bad one. I'm not missing too much. Well, it could be the epic winter. Well, I mean, actually, having said that, not to depress you, but we were t chatting about that the other night because it could be, like, it could actually be great, couldn't it? Because we're, so we booked, I booked a flight to Maribel, well, to Geneva, obviously, but um, to go and see our friend Chris. In October, me and some mates just were like, should we just, should we just book some flights? Like, for, like who knows what's going to happen? Let's just mm. book some flights. And that was, so we booked some flights for like the first week of February. And obviously all the resorts are short, but you can get there and then you can get home obviously and you can quarantine, which has now gone down to five days, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I quarantined for two weeks after, I went to France in September, so I'm lucky enough that that did, did, doesn't really affect me. But we were just saying like, can I actually hope the resorts are shut? Because that would be, I don't mind a bit of walking. No, well, I mean, you know, the, the crew are all out there now, you know, and you know, over in Teen, all the crew are out there, Will's riding now and splitboarding and that, and I think they're only technically allowed three hours a day, but the snow's coming in the Alps at the moment. People are splitboarding. It looks like most of the lifts aren't going to be open in France, Italy, Germany, not sure what Austria are doing, Swiss are sort of opening some stuff, but like it's going to be touring until early January. Yeah. So it's going to be quiet. And if you like, if you like a bit of split boarding, which we do, that'd be great, you know? And then even after that, I think when things open, they're certainly going to be busy with the Europeans. I mean, imagine like specifically for us in France, everyone in those French cities who've been sort of stuck at home for months are going to want to get to the mountains a bit like they did in the summer. Oh, it's going to be such a load of pent up demand. Absolutely. For sure. It's just going to be, but there's definitely going to be less people and definitely less Brits because even though some can quarantine, it's just going to be really hard for people with, you know, the families and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, for like pure shredding, if it's a good winter, it's definitely going to be, you know, quieter on the slopes and less tracks in the powder. Could be, could be a one-off. What's the could be. time frame for you then? You said like three months. Funny this, isn't it? Because obviously, well, not obviously, but you know, my dog's just had a... I know, <laughs> I've been like following same, that, yeah. Pretty much like the same. the same week, like yeah. had a very serious operation how's he doing um he's doing really well and it's quite funny because i'm basically having the same thing with him like about how his bones healing and you know <laughs> keep, how active we can keep him although he's really limping today um because he's a, essentially so he's had a, the operation that he's had is called a sliding humeral osteotomy i think and basically what they do is they cut the bone on his front leg in half above the elbow and then they reset it it's almost like they overlap the elbow joint because he's got such severe arthritis so half of his elbow joint is diseased oh, yeah. and he's got a healthy half so they change the weight so that all the weight goes on the healthy half so we had his right leg done last year which was incredible the difference it made to him and then he's had the left leg done and um you know, when we picked, I mean, when, when we picked, picked him up, his leg is literally in half, you know, mm. and, and also it really affects this nerve in the leg. So he's got no control over it at all. And then for like three days, he was in loads of pain and it was, it was also like really swollen and they're really worried about it getting infected. It's like, you cannot get it infected because yeah. it's like, 
if you if it gets infected we're in a lot of trouble yeah so you got so we got given pretty full-on drugs for him for the first month which just keep him like basically pretty dosed up so he's quite docile but then you know you don't want to do that for too long because same thing like you're talking about we've got to take him out so like the, the next yeah. day we've got to walk him yeah and he you know did not want to walk but being a dog obviously like after a week you want to run he just doesn't give a shit so yeah. he's so he's like he, he literally would run now he would run on it and um now it's same thing last time it's just quite a weird point because he's we can walk him for three half an hour walks a day which is quite a long time anyway yeah you know um and that keeps him mobile and tight and keeps him tied out and stuff but he's basically really bored and and just wants to run and he's kind of started running around the house like so if he hears you know if someone's at the door he like runs the door and obviously unless you keep him in a crate which we just decided not to do he's gonna do that anyway um well, so, he hasn't got the understanding as he that yeah like uh, he, he just wants to go for his walk yeah, give a shit yeah mm. um so he's really limping today which it's quite funny because i'm obviously comparing it to last year and my wife's like it's definitely alima's like it's definitely worse this year and i'm like i don't know if it is because i remember thinking last year he was gonna have a permanent limp um because the nerve takes so long to heal because mm. he's it's still like quite you know he, he, he sort of walks around holding it okay but then eventually after like three months he just it just the nerve healed and he's just like off um so we are six weeks in we've got another six weeks before he can run um we've been giving him a lot of cbd which definitely works yeah that definitely works um but yeah it's we funny do a mutual blog maybe he's he's got his x-ray i don't know what, when do you say yours is well my next appointment with a surgeon is in january yeah he's got his appointment with his surgeon in two weeks and he gets x-rayed basically <laughs> but what i what i couldn't believe is like and it must be the same with you like bone actually regenerates almost it's mad like so he's yeah. got he's got this crazy like they call it an implant but it's essentially a, a shitload of metal and i just thought this i mean it's punter stuff this and it but i just thought like where they kind of cut it as it were mm. heals but it actually grows all around it and well, they, you've you've broken your collarbone haven't you yeah but i didn't have an operation they just no they but, just left that yeah but yours so if you think about that it's the same i did that last year as well and if they don't if they don't if they don't plate it and put it back if you when you've got the bump where they just join it grows back stronger it just grows all around it yeah like all around it it's, um, it's i mean <laughs> what a wondrous thing and the human body's so amazing <laughs> man no but it is it is it is amazing yeah it's it's so with him they were hopefully fingers crossed like um yeah he'll be sort of stronger than before really which would be great because he was pretty yeah he's starting to get quite lame when we uh when we got him referred and stuff so mm. yeah well, it's amazing they can do that for dogs, isn't it? You know, I'm I'm still amazed at what you know they can what they can do with humans. So that's incredible, you know. And yeah, yeah. So, um, so you got, you're going to miss the winter. So you got 12 weeks. I'm pretty much. I I am going to miss the winter. I mean, I I've got a little little bit of a kind of thing in my mind of thinking six months six months from the actual injury will be the 18th of April, and traditionally, that is sort of just after Easter when we always do what used to be mates week but basically a friends and family week at the lodge and so in my mind you know if let's say this continues to me i mean 
yeah, last week wasn't good. I, I was positive before that. At the moment, I'm not. I'm not sure. But if it keeps healing, there is the vaguest possibility that I might be able to like literally have a little slide around. That would be six months later at the end of this season. But yeah, I'm pretty much out for the winter and and looking at you know at least being able to be back on you know back on a bike doing stuff for the summer. And then looking forward to next winter, really. Yeah, oh, you might as well write it off, eh? Just accept this, not not accept it, I, but just I'm, if you can get I'm out. I'm willing to. If, if you know, if I'm given the okay and I'm feeling strong and I'm not going to do anything stupid, of course, but um, I'm kind of happy, not happy to write it off. I've accepted that, really, and um, yeah, just want to get back. If, you know, if I can get back to 100%, which is what the surgeon has said, then I'm going to do everything in my power to give myself the best chance to do that whether it's like the physio which is which i'm doing whether it's like eating well yeah, you're pretty good with all that though i'm, I'm all right with it and, I, and i've certainly been very good at it since this you know or like you know i mean i haven't been drinking this is i'm having a guinness today just you know which is obviously good for you um <laughs> i have been eating really well mostly thanks to my partner sarah who's just got straight on it with looking at what is important nutritionally especially more so when you're kind of like healing and growing new bone and that kind of thing yeah so i'm gonna go for it really bone yeah. broth apparently collagen yeah <laughs> seriously though well collagen's meant to be great isn't it well i've been we've been pretty much kind of like not been eating any i'm, I'm doing it but i'm do i haven't really eaten any um i've been vegetarian for years yeah and of I, course and i haven't eaten any dairy since march so we're pretty much doing it on a full plant-based diet which I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's totally possible, like for a start, it's, you know, it is if you get into it and you're into cooking properly. Yeah. And also it is just generally made me feel like fitter. I've lost a bit of weight, which is obviously good for that. Um, it's really good, like the, the dairy side of it, I think definitely you know, it's good for inflammation, like it's good to not be so inflamed, like so the anti-inflammatory pa- per, uh, properties of some of the stuff that Sarah's feeding me yeah. is really good, which is good for healing and stuff as well. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling like I'm giving myself the best chance I possibly can anyway. Yeah, you're pretty good with all that. Yeah, but mentally it's been... You've had... Well, I mean, you're going to get it, aren't you? You're going to get these ups and downs because yeah. ultimately being injured is shit and yeah. having a really serious injury like that is double shit, isn't it? So Absolutely, you know, and, and you know, I know sometimes definitely I know I can come over as like, yeah, man, you know, I'm I'm really like positive and I'm staying positive and I am, but not all the time. And if it wasn't for, you know, you know, my family and my friends, that would be really hard. And especially after the shit show of a year we've been having anyway. Yeah, it must be hard not to take it personally. Did you, did you, were you able to, because um, you particularly, as, as we're such good friends, I know I've had a, I've had a challenging year. Um, yeah. Was it, was it difficult? <laughs> could you laugh <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean could I, you could you see the because obviously when we all had, <laughs> when we all found out your friends we were all a bit like fucking hell that doesn't that just cap it you know yeah abs- well I mean like yeah like you say it has been a really shit year for me and my family on a you know personal level like you know with the business just the general state of the world and everything so you know I think just being having that kind of you know good British self-deprecating sense of humor there is a part of me that is like well you know if it was going to happen you might as well do it now you know and like just to put it down it's not quite the right reference but in welsh there's a there's a saying called tired casey come which means 
it's three chances for a Welsh one, which is usually a positive. <laughs> but I'm like, it's basically the third strike, isn't it? After like, you know, the family loss we've had, the shit show with the business and, and the worry about that. And then like, well, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it now so that 2020 can just be over and look towards the future and think, well, 2021 can't be any worse, can it, surely? Yeah. Are you are you sort of, can you take this kind of year that you've had with like equanimity you know can you can you be philosophical about it is that your sort of temperament i think you have to be really don't you i mean you know otherwise what you do just kill yourself yeah no i mean it's it's because obviously everybody's been grappling with you know this year but i think you're probably the person i know has been the most affected personally just in terms of like you said you know obviously you've had some direct family affected by COVID-19 and mm. and um, the, uh, you know, the business, you you probably couldn't have had a, you know, couldn't be in the worst industry in terms of being affected, basically in the travel industry, which is, you know, um, been hit particularly hard. Well, I think, you know, I think there's there's plenty of industries that have been hit, plenty of people have been hit, like on, if, if you're just talking about the kind of financial and economic side of it, but certainly... Yeah, that was really heavy. And, we, you know, not weirdly. So I think the personal tragedy we've had in our family directly related to COVID really was the kind of marker and makes you really think about mortality and put things in perspective. So after that, even the kind of the, the business and everything else that happened because of COVID, you put into, you know, into perspective against that. And then equally this, although this is, you know, a, a personal injury and it's pretty heavy, you know you have i'm not dead and i live in this part of the western world where you know we've got the you know this seems trite to say but like you know the the nhs which like if you you know i've already talked about how what happened to me and how i was got from where i was by the paramedics by the fire service into a hospital with like some of the best surgeons probably in the world but certainly an amazing service all for free all like directly there you i have to put all that in, in perspective and think the worst thing has happened already with someone that in our family dying the business you just look at and go well you know the worst case scenario is you go bust and then you and then with that you just decide or me and with will that you just take a step back and go so what can we do to try and make it survive and you get creative and you do whatever and you think well we're not as bad as some other people i haven't lost my job my business hasn't gone burst we've just about stuck in there so yeah i reckon you know i, I am being philosophical is what makes you survive through these things i think really isn't it yeah completely um i mean you're talking about the the, the covid thing that you know scenarios that you we don't have to it's up to you but um you know it's been because in a lot of ways how people have been affected by COVID is, has been a lottery, really, which is another trite thing to say, but yeah. it's so dependent on you, kind of, what situation your family's in, like how, cl you know, there's like a lot of just seemingly um, trifling things, like the fact that you don't live near your family. Let's just say there's that, mm. th there might be that, or, you know, what level of health your family are at, which in previous years, just perhaps, yeah, would have been an issue, but not quite as pressing an issue. And, you know yeah. those those factors suddenly can you know have coalesced into 
how badly you've been affected by it i mean you as in generally people you know have been affected by it right yeah absolutely and um yeah you definitely have have had some challenges right yeah well you know yeah i think it is it has affected everyone in the world obviously but to, to you know there is a sliding scale and it's not trying to you know we we have been affected directly by it as you know as in someone enough you know my my mother-in-law died i'd say directly because of it but like certainly if not directly because of it she was in a care home and we couldn't see her for a long time before her death and the the it's not even it's the after effects of all of that and that will have been affecting huge amounts of people across the world where they couldn't see loved ones because of it and then if they experienced that death and weren't able to be with them when they died like they should have been weren't able to have a funeral and therefore grieve properly you know this this is even if we come out to the other side next year or whatever it's going to be an ongoing healing process and or attempt at healing that that we don't really understand yet and has affected a lot more people and and then some people may not have had anywhere near that level of effect of it and uh, yeah it's it's a strange one but certainly yeah we've we felt it really directly and very seriously has it has it changed your view on human nature this year i know that's like a very big question but you know there's been so many unforeseen repercussions of this year and I think what I found really startling, and I certainly not try to turn this into like a conversation about people's views on COVID or whatever, but you know, like a lot of the entrenched views about this situation that people seem to have, I think you can really attribute to like a lack, like a surprising lack of empathy in a in a lot of ways. You know, I've been quite depressed by like how unempathetic we appear to be because, like as you said, um, some people have been very heavily affected and some people really haven't been affected but it it does seem like your views on the situation tend to be shaped by that personal you know like how closely you were it affected you and I just I've been surprised really by like how people just don't seem to have been able to let people have grief you know like and, and if you know if you look at people like denying it or talking mm. bullshit about like you know you know you know what i'm talking about mm. and you know we've all got friends online who are having those uh, like airing those views <laughs> and stuff and, I, and I, i've just yeah. always been a bit like just have a day off do you know what i mean like you don't need to have a view on this like people are really affected by it and people are really like it's it's affecting people in like really horrible ways like just just keep your mouth shut absolutely and, and i think i think the thing is I would like to live in in a society and and think that hopefully being a you know being an optimist that mostly we do that you don't need to be affected directly by something like this just to have that kind of empathy for other people and whether or not there may be elements of like the way that governments or people have dealt with stuff or, or the the things that are put in place that we've had to abide by to attempt to mitigate the the effect of it that are really difficult for people are hugely difficult for people but yeah i think like you said it i i find it hard that some people just don't go okay even if i disagree with that let's just buckle down think about some other people a bit more 
and try and get through this whilst, you know, challenging challenging people's responses, especially yeah. practically when necessary. It's not a zero sum game, is it? You no. know, you don't have to like either be think it's all been handled really well or you think it's a no. conspiracy. You like there's there's nuance involved, but Absolutely. That, that that nuance definitely seems to have been a bit lost this year, you know. I think so. And it's just it's just unfortunately kind of, you know, just like it just seems to be pitting people against each other, whereas maybe like just step back, realise you don't have to have actually lost someone directly because of it, but you can see or just think about it, talk about it, you know, that it, that it has affected a lot of people very badly. And it is, you know, to use the, you know, probably one of those <laughs> most overused words, it is unprecedented. Yeah. So like we don't... It's new normal, John. Well, the, well, the actual meaning of that is we don't know how to deal with it, do we? So well, it's like you we're, say, we're psych- all learning. Psychically and collectively, it will be... It's in the post, as you just said. Um, you know, you can't have a situation. Well, if you look at the... like, You just, you know, you just use the example of you know, what happened when people grieve, you know, ordinarily, like grief, grief is obviously awful, but very, you know, clearly a fact of life, but we, people have a way of dealing with it. And that's now been removed this year for, for all these different reasons that we're talking about. And yeah, and like yeah. just on that one level, like you just, we can't, we're not going to know how that's affected people collectively and psychically till quite a long way down the track, really. Absolutely, it, 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 yeah, and th- and that is you know like I've, we've got direct, I've got direct experience of that, and we're not alone, and there'll be a lot of people feeling that, and you know grief is a process, grief isn't a thing that you feel and then it goes, and that can be any you know just a very simple thing, and different cultures do it differently, but like in ours for example, having a funeral, and then the wake, where traditionally you know in our culture, or as far my experience. You the wake part of it, where you then have a few drinks and you share stories about the loved one that you miss, that can be good and bad and happy, and you laugh and you cry. That's been pulled away from a lot of people. So yeah, just in one tiny example, that bit yeah. that is one of the stages and parts of how you process grief, and then being able to mix with more extended family to share those things and have that support. All of that's gone. So it's not just the direct the the direct descendant of the person maybe but the whole fam family and kind of like societal group around them that's been affected so you're right i think we're going to be feeling this for a long time you know yeah and it's why when people say i'm just going to allude to one ridiculous thing that you hear people say but when they say like um you know we should just like protect the vulnerable and um let everyone else go on with their day-to-day lives um or like oh well those people would have died anyway it's just like i mean that is actually like a really monstrous comment isn't it because i don't want to live in a society where you think like that about people yeah you know? like you know when it, and it's it's really glibbies you know i was listening to a phone on the radio today and someone was on there going like you know those people they're they're all old they're gonna die anyway and, it's, and the guy on the radio is like are, are you what are you actually saying mm. like think about what you're saying mm. you know that's like that's in that is just an insane statement you know like and like you say it's like it's about that something like that is what kind of society do you actually want to live in you know like and you know see see the thing about this year isn't it it's really blown wide open all those you know those layers to what kind of society people this is this is what i meant really when i was saying you know like this empathy thing like what's been surprising to to learn it's like it, it the way this whole thing has been handled is such a 
indication of the type of society that we want to live in isn't it you know as a metaphor for how we want to live and yeah. it's, it's pretty unbeatable really and it's, it, it's i've been quite staggered really at some of the some of the discourse that's been going on around that where it's like okay you you we're quite different <laughs> yeah well and that's I, certainly I, not my take on it no and, and and you know the world at the moment you know whether you know and well, let's say the Western world, like you know, where my experience is from here, and then looking over towards American places like that, it does just seem so divisive and so, so divided, and and so equally divided as well that it, it we're going through some difficult times. Let alone the whole COVID thing. It's, you know, like empathy would be something that, or understanding that, even if you disagree with someone, that maybe you can have that disagreement and talk it out and try and work it out and realize at least we're all still humans and we should at least have that that as a basic starting point rather than like looking at you know the the way that certain countries and certain political you know political leaders especially are, are seeming to try and divide people even more yeah definitely a 2020 eh 2020 yeah not going to forget this one are we <laughs> No, so how how's the lodge looking? Well, before we get into that, actually, let's um, so you know, as you mentioned, you we I've known you for a long time through snowboarding, mm. and um, you know, you've run the Dragon Lodge, which is as I said on Instagram the other week, uh, I think you know, institution of European snowboarding is not too strong a phrase. I would I, th- I think. Um, so when did you set the lodge up? Was this mid nineties? We we actually set it up. So me and my brother Owain set it up. The first season we we opened like with like kind of Mark One, if you like, was me and my brother was in teen in the winter of ninety seven, ninety eight, um, and he and I ran that for maybe four or five, maybe six years before he. That was in the that was the apartment essentially. That right? was like a kind of like chalet apartment, slept ten people. That's where we started, like nice and low, and just really it was just kind of after doing maybe like four, maybe oh we'd done five seasons out in the Alps. It was basically a way of thinking how can we keep spending winters in the in the Alps without having to go home and work work all summer to save money to go back and the do a classic an, do dilemma. Season. How can you do a season without getting a proper job? Yeah, it's exactly. Basically, what my whole <laughs> life's been. <laughs> well, that's what we're both sitting here now, Matt, thinking like you know, like like what's one of my worries about if the lodge doesn't work, I might have to go and get a real job. Never. Um, but it wasn't that yet. How can we do it? And at the time, there weren't. I mean, we weren't the first. There were a couple of others, like Charlie Snowball was around and whatever. But there were no. You know, if you went, there's no a, proper snowboard ones. No, if you want, if you, you know, we did seasons. We used to do work. You go out there and you just, you know, I did. I did my. I didn't work when it was my season. We worked all summer, save money, just road. I think in three seasons I did three days work, but we worked all summer to do it. And we wanted to then work out how we could get do a business. And one year my brother worked for a little chalet, and we thought, hey, people come, the Brits especially, go and do the chalet holiday thing. But there wasn't a snowboard one, so we thought let's set that up. And that's kind of why we called it Lodge, not Chalet, to make it a bit different. But ultimately, it it, it is a, a like a chalet, but. F- for snowboarders more than skiers rather than if at the time you went you were a s- snowboarder you went and stayed in a ski chalet and you mixed with skiers and snowboarders so most of our guests were snowboarders but obviously skiers as well it was just that that was our vibe and we we went for it and at the time it was just the perfect time really it was you know 
it was, the, the euro hadn't come in then it was like early days we just managed to you know put a business plan together and take it to a bank in south wales and he lent us some money and <laughs> right i know yeah <laughs> wow totally winged it i said what and you said we're going to sell up a snowboard shallow yeah and weird, weirdly like Jesus. literally some visionary bank manager in well we went to see him and he gave Cardiff. us this thing and said here's, here's a pack here's a business pack go and fill it in so we filled it in and luckily my brother had worked for this little chalet the year before and we got all of their books at the end of the year the, the, this Aussie couple that ran it we just like basically took all of the running costs put it into a business plan went to the bank manager and weirdly he skied and he said oh I've heard of this snowboarding thing my son's been telling me about it he said it's the, the next new big thing so obviously we were like yeah oh yeah you want to yeah. get in on this mate <laughs> and, he, and he, he said well yeah here's a business loan off you go right and we just went for it really never done you know i did never done any business degree or anything like that we just went for it really and started so the i you know oh oh went out there and ran it i stayed in the uk it's kind of probably why i met you because i was here you studying right yeah because i i thought how do you it's not going to pay us to start with i won't have the time to put into it if i'm doing a full-time job I, I, at that time, it was one of the last years that you could apply for a degree and still get, like as an independent person, still get a grant and housing benefit and stuff. So I looked at a few universities, thought of like what would be an interesting degree and kind of a little bit of a cushy one, but was interesting in a good place. So I came to Brighton and did a humanities philosophy-based degree that was like super interesting, but also gave me a lot of time to a work on the business whilst here and then spend i think when i did the degree for three years i spent at least 10 weeks every winter out in the alps as well yeah so it was just to kind of continue doing that and then i was going to move out there at the end but i met i met sarah on the course so ever since i've always done that really just to like half a winter or roughly that out there yeah um yeah and then i found that with my brother for six years um and it was him that really got us into it he then went off um to New Zealand one summer and then rang me and said do you mind if I just go to Japan for a winter and uh, take a winter off um, and he's never come back from that he's still over there and then I kind of carried it on like Mark II with my friend Dan who used to work for me he kind of became a partner for so that was one in Lalac, right that's when we so we did it for a year again up in the smaller one then we decided we could like get a bit bigger because it started we could get more than 10 people a week yeah so we moved to a second one that we rented in Lalac and ran that me and Dan did that for maybe six or seven years before he went. And then we moved to another one then. So we're in like the third building, all in teen. Um, and then Dan left and then I asked Will, Will Hughes, who'd been working for us to be my partner and run it with me. And me and Will have been running it together for the last six or seven years now, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's and and, and it's always had this yeah i mean it's always been a real hub of the community for, for our little european scene hasn't it from from day one really you know like i mean if you were in teen you'd go to the lodge that's how it was like because it went you know i i used to go through teen doing trips with people with riders for white lines or whatever and it was yeah. always like i would just give give john a ring go and stay at the lodge like you know it was absolutely but that because i mean you know it's that British snowboard scene thing that we all know about and you know and the European snowboard scene but the British snowboard scene was really strong and it was it wasn't that it was small and cliquey but it was just that you kind of got to know everyone really quickly like I didn't know anyone before I started it but very quickly you do and those people helped me out so when I started it and didn't have any money to advertise 
I remember, like, you know, ringing the White Lines number and speaking to Chris Moran and just saying, hey, I'm doing this thing, it's called this. And he went, no worries, just send me some stuff, we'll put it in the mag. And through that, British writers started getting in touch with us and therefore in exchange, and, you know, you would never, I'd always say, I haven't got money for an ad, but give me a little write-up. And then you guys would be like, well, obviously, because you're interesting, but also if you came to team, of course, you've got somewhere to stay. And through doing that sort of, you know, mutual back scratching sort of thing it it helped us expand our name in the scene it helped us meet lots of really interesting people and then if anyone needed any help we would do it we know yeah of course we'd be the people that would do it there in teen if you wanted to and that's kind of always been my way of trying to work really is thinking i would rather put any kind of like you know marketing budget i've never i've never actually had a marketing budget but rather than like <laughs> pay for an ad yeah do it that way i'd rather do something like that like say hey guys like even last year white lines again came out to teen this is like 20 odd years later to do their product shoot and they just have a little chat and say okay guys you come stay with us for a week for free in exchange for giving us a little bit of you know and then obviously you'll give us a few you know social media posts something on the on the website that kind of thing always worked and through that you meet all these really interesting people. Yeah. And if anyone's coming out to teen and, you know, I, I always look at people and think like my, st if they've got money, they can pay. If they're skint, they can pay a bit less. If they're really skint, they can clear some snow. Yeah. And that's kind of how we've always done it really. Yeah. And it's been at the focal point of so many little scenes. I mean, including looking sideways. Cause, uh, cause obviously oh. the f looking sideways originally was, um, was, it was, an, like an event platform really wasn't it that originally you and owen set up it was something that tozer and i came up with sort of when when the x games came to teen yeah which was what that, that's that's, that's ten, 10 years ten ago years ago yeah yeah because so, um because you had bent yeah right because i carry on so I, that that's just funny that, i'm just remembering it now yeah because i was there so, obviously yeah that that first looking looking sideways mark one if you like was yeah. me and owen chatting about this and him him being creative and my mate and me saying hey look you know the x game has come to tea and that's great it's the pinnacle of freestyle snowboarding and skiing it's it's kind of cool but also it doesn't really represent snowboarding in, in any way that i recognize or my friends do and there's so much more to snowboarding there's all the kind of like the free riding in the mountains there's all the other creative elements around it like the music that you into because you've watched no one movies or the, the photography of it, the artwork that goes on the boards and everything. So we thought, especially with Toza being that creative and me being into the music, why don't we, while X Games is on, do something in team, in one of our mates' bars, because again, all the locals are there are into it, that celebrates the other sides of snowboarding. So whilst the world is looking at, not the world, but you know, ESPN is looking at the, the best freestyle snowboarders in the world doing that, just down the road we've got a bar that's kitted out as a as a um photographic gallery as an art gallery um and we put three days of live music on and we get photographers out to shoot portraits of the people involved in it and we get a photographer out to shoot people free riding in the resort at the same time and then that was our idea and that's also then when we came to you and went that's a great idea but how do we get someone to pay us to do it <laughs> or <laughs> what do we how, do with the content how I, which is how me and chris ended up getting involved wasn't it because exactly yeah yeah because i came out for that because yeah because that's how happened on it so i came out i think I, I think oakley took me out you were um, you were you were you were on someone's dime because i was of out the, with oakley yeah because um 
I think I must have written about it for somebody. No, I pitched it to somebody like Hook, I think. I can't remember. It was I definitely pitched it to someone. You pitched the look inside. You basically, I pitched the story yeah. to somebody. We, no, we it was ESPN. It, it was ESPN. Yeah, because I wrote you, all the... Yeah. So I was writing for ESPN. And I wrote all the comp reports from that event. And then I did a piece on looking sideways for ESPN. That was it. And I got Oakley to pay for me to go out to yeah. do that. That was right. And we chatted at that. Cause, and then we were like, let's have a chat about doing some more. Doing some more. Because mm. um, Ben Howard played, didn't he? At the loot bar. It's like yeah. about 100 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. And that was the first looking sideways event. The first one, yeah. Um, and... James E. McPhail had his photography exhibition. Alex Hill did some stuff. Scope had a uh, art Scope exhibition. Scope had in an there. art exhibition. We had um, the truck fighters and a truck couple fighter of heavy played. bands. Truck playing. fighters played. You got absolutely shit faced one night. I, I remember did that. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> well, you know. And um, and then that was proper. That that was that's the side of snowboarding that like I was, know, we grew up with. It you was know? brilliant. It was so Three good. Three nights of parties. Yeah, I don't think day. I even. No, I did go to the X Games because I had to write those stories. Because I was, yeah, it was funny that I was writing contest reports for espn you know like like football match reports essentially so yeah. I, so i did about four years of that where i would basically this happened that i went happened. to the art well no but obviously with snowboarding it's it was it was really fun actually because i'd like i went to the arctic challenge for example and did it and they'd be like right we want it as soon as the results room we want it, we want a thousand words mm. you know because it's the internet you know yeah um and at the time, obviously, it's when I first started doing it, it's quite hard, like to suddenly, like you know, like to to digest a, a final, all the comp runs. Yeah, you know, it's not like football where it's like so and so scored and there you go, that's that. Yeah, you got you know have your deadline to submit. People straight are away. such geeks, and you got to like mm. get all the tricks right and stuff. But I got, I ended up getting quite good at that. And anyway, I did loads of them, and then. Uh, so I did go and check the comp out, but I spent most of the time at the loot bar with you lot, really. Um, yeah. yeah, right. And then so after that, we kind of set up looking sideways as a sort of putative business, didn't we? At the time, and we did loads to do more events and stuff that was yeah, link, linking, you know, like the art, the music, the other creative st stuff around. Yeah, around snowboarding, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we did Meyerhofen, which was the year after, wasn't it? We did a great. Well, we did, we did a collab with Vans, didn't we? Basically, which was brilliant. I mean, Vans were Vans were the, the first people who supported the first one, along with. Actually, Les sorted us out with a bit of um, through burn, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. But Vans got involved straight away thanks to Nick Street, who yeah has always been really he supportive of the British scene. So supportive, yeah, absolutely. And um, so we did the one in Meyerhofen, which was great. Yeah, you know that was I think that was probably the one where we got, you know, actually delivered the sort of event we kind of wanted to properly deliver, wasn't it? You know, we had a really great art show. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, God, I'm just actually I'm I'm not gonna go full involved, but I'm just remembering some of those as well. Um, yep. And then we did we did uh, Nuki, didn't we? Did Boardmasters? Did yeah. Boardmasters? The surf event, yeah. Um, we we're trying to uh, trying to expand it, I suppose, away from snow and do some surf and skate stuff as well. Well, really. Vans wanted to own it, didn't they? I think that that was that was kind of where it ended up, um, not losing its way, but where we ended up kind of like. It, it, we 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 shelved it, didn't we, for a bit? Because essentially, I think Vans wanted to own the Looking Sideways brand, didn't they? Well, they liked it, and, and that was great. I mean, they really believed in us and made it, and, and enabled us to do some really cool shit. And but I think probably from mine and Owen's point of view at the beginning, that was like doing cool shit. But then understanding that actually, if people are going to fund you to do the cool shit, then obviously they need something back, and that was great. And we had a great relationship with Vans for that. But I think it it would have 
to go to that next level would have meant all of us basically doing that not full time but getting that much more involved in it and give and also giving away a lot of the ownership to vans as far as the creativity side of it goes and i think it just got to a point where we we delivered those three events to them we were talking about more but i think we all sort of went you know what let's maybe park it for a bit yeah i mean i got really busy with acm and yeah you know acm really sort of grew quite quickly and i yeah but i mean that's what's been brilliant about the way it's taken on this second life though because because mm. i remember when i had the idea for the podcast i um obviously i spoke to you about it and i spoke to owen about it and owen to his eternal credit basically said to me you should do it as looking sideways mm. um because at the time i was like i don't i don't know what to call it i don't know what to do do i do a brand do i call it like the matt bar podcast matt bar show. <laughs> <laughs> you know what do i do sort of thing and i chatted to owen about coming up with a brand like you know i said can should we and he's like just use looking sideways um mm, yeah, and, really... I, and i know i know a couple of people have said to him since like do you regret doing that now <laughs> but in all seriousness though that's like why it's been so brilliant the fact we've got to kind of work on it together and you know like Absolutely. do all the do all the travels that we've done and now we're doing the book and yeah it's, you know. it's so rad that owen's so involved in it and, and i know like you know you you spoke to me when you said that and i was like yeah you know it's well it's perfect because I, I think the thing like the really the really simple thing about it is like obviously like the the, the name itself like and you know and, and the nights that me and owen sat around you know drinking and other things and like looking trying to come up with a name which is just ridiculous but the the idea of looking sideways was, was like a it obviously it, it has a reference to like what you do when you're riding because you look sideways you're moving sideways but also it was about looking at not looking at things in the obvious way not straight on which was a why we did the first one which wasn't looking directly at the x games it was looking to the side of all the other things that are involved in it and what you're doing now with the, the podcast is looking sideways is you are looking not just specifically about surf skate snow but about what's your tagline all the other oh other <laughs> i mean uh, what all the, all all the other related endeavors i mean that's that's funny as well but it's things w- around it and it's very much that though isn't it yeah because, like it, it isn't just about those things like you should be able to interview someone who is like an artist an or is someone who is an astronaut <laughs> yeah well exactly yeah so but it's no it's funny now. i'm only laughing because um there's so much about the way the podcast a couple of things that have become like quite a defining part of the podcast that other related endeavors thing was literally like a phrase that i just <laughs> said like yeah. in the first intro and then just kept saying it It was by and then the the music the theme tune hmm. was um my friend matt ward and i did the first episode i did the first three episodes i put the first three episodes together and then right before i submitted them to apple podcasts i was like oh i should probably do a theme tune and i was at the office and he was there and he's a really amazing guitarist mm. and he had a guitar there and i was like can you just like make up a bit of music and he, he was just banging out and then. he just did he just literally oh, wow. did that there and then and and he was like how's that and i was like yeah that'll do and i recorded it on my um through my macbook not even with a proper mic mm-hmm. did it through the built-in mic straight into garage band i was like oh, okay cool that'll do and um yeah uh, there we go a bit of looking sideways podcast origin story serendipity in, yeah well it's, but it's great geeks. though isn't it because again like it's the, to bring it back to what we we're talking about the lodge was at the heart of it and another another scene that the lodge was also the you know scope like 
mm. like and um, Dalek fodder. And, well, it, and, there and, there, there was know, just a really good scene in Teen. Like it was, you know, for a while. The Scoff Dalek fodder Jet Black Venn diagram is all very, yeah. very, you know, da- Dragon Lodge is in, in the middle of that as well. Yeah, because there was a really interesting scene of of like Teen had this. Gr- it's gone up and down. But there was always like you know good British riders there, and also really interesting and creative riders, and maybe not the ones who followed the most like well, Will. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, Will's, I mean, look at Will Hughes. Will's probably still one of my favourite snowboarders. I mean, well, he's, he's one of one of the one of the best free riders that has come from Britain, you know, and he's spent so many years doing it. I mean, he's a really great rider and like massively respected, but has always done it on his own terms. He's just like pure snowboarder, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, not. He's not doing seasons. Will just lives in the mountains. Yeah. He has chosen to live in the mountains, and loves to snowboard as much as any child. Yeah. I you mean, know, I he, so enjoyed he, those days we had in Japan this year because because yeah. we did we did that um, trip to Japan in January and that's another Dragon Lodge thing essentially, isn't it? That mm. you organised. That, is um, yeah. that was uh, first Dragon Lodge tour. Quite a big group in a lot of ways, and I was just like, I'm going to follow Will and John. Yeah. That's my plan. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna just, I'm gonna follow those boys, yeah. like, and because uh, I love watching Will ride, and mm. I love following him as well, just because he's got such a great eye, hasn't he, for terrain, and you know, he picks picks like such great lines. And I mean, there's no like my the the two people I love to ride with the most are my brother and Will. And, yeah, and the interesting thing about Will is because he's goofy and I'm regular. It's quite interesting as you can see the same lines, but also you you leave each other certain bits. Yeah. Whereas my brother's regular too, so sometimes we just, we get the same little little hit that we both want to go to. Yeah, but but like you say, like that was teen always, well, like any resort, any scene, like had those snowboarders, didn't it? The you know? local crew, yeah. And, but there was a very creative crew, you know, and, and like those guys, they were maybe like Scofe and Ian from Dalek Vodder, I don't know, possibly like second generation after like maybe us and people like Marcus and Nelson and... And Josh Wolf and um, Ryan Davis and all those guys that were kind of like you know sponsored riders in the British scene, but they were creative and also they were a little bit like us in that they, well, you know, they, they were better snowboarders as far as like freestyle and stuff, and they were getting shots in the magazines like Scove, but they had, they were really into all the stuff around it, like the you know the community that is surrounding snowboarding, and that's kind of what it really is all about is the community of it. You know, it's, it's the act of doing it. It's being in the mountains. It's the people who are doing it with. It's the session, which is the same if you're on snow skate or like if you're out in the water or whatever. And those people just happen to be there. So, you know, people like Scofe and that, you know, they, yeah, they were part of like, I, I believe the first time that Scofe ever had his original work hung anywhere was at the Middle Lodge. You know, we were just, we, we, I was like, oh, I'd love some paintings on the wall. He's like, I've got paintings. Do you want them? And we were like, let's put them up there, you know. And at the same time, he would, him and that crew, you know, him, Ryan, Nelson, all that crew would come and like help clear snow. If we needed someone to drive to the airport and do a transfer, they'd do that and we'd feed them and they would help us by spreading the word to other riders coming to town or their team managers. If, you know, we had the Oakley team come to stay because some of those guys are on them. And it's just that, that same kind of like DIY sort of ethos that comes from, from being in a proper scene and community that meant that it was always a win-win everyone's back was scratched everyone got something positive out of it yeah but you always what's like curated that so well 
you like you know corralled all those all those people so well that's one of the things that's that's one of the things that's always i've always really enjoyed watching about you like your silent influence in that way (laughs) you know because you but you've always steered those things like quite consciously i imagine as well well, some, yeah, sometimes consciously, but also I think, you know, I've, I've got lots of interests and lots of things I'm really into and lots of things I'm kind of fairly good at. But I, I've, I've always really loved, like, it's like music. I love music. You know how much I love music. And I, I buy music and I buy vinyl. And I go to gigs all the time and I go to, like, new, go to see new bands. But I, 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 never, I never had it in me to learn to play the guitar or do that and with snowboarding I love it and I would would never probably have been good enough but I wasn't driven to try and be good enough to get sponsored like a lot of those things so I like it when I can see people who are good at it and I get drawn to creative people who are interesting and I want to do that and bring them together and it's just fun to bring people together and also you know if you help someone do that and see something come back and put a little like when we did the events one of my favorite bits and when I've done other jobs in production is, you know, when you stand back and you look at something you've put on or something you've done and you think, oh, look at that. Everyone's having a good time. I'm having a good time. It's like having a session, like riding like riding a run together in Japan. Yeah. Getting to the bottom and thinking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, those the definitely, like, my Hoffman, I remember that, that uh, I remember when we finished putting that exhibition together. That mm. was that was one of those moments. And it was yeah. full. And, you know. Yeah. And there was some great artists there. Yeah. We had Blaze there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we had, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was it was it was great. It was yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So I think I, I think I've always been good at bringing people together and facilitating things. And I'm really happy with my like not to say jack of all trades, master of none, but like I do like that, you know. And it kind of goes back to even like the start of the lodge. My brother was the one with the vision to go out and do the first season. He got the job in the little chalet. Me and him. Then I was like, why don't we do that and you run it? And then. And he'd led all of that, you know, and even now with him, you know, he's been living out in Japan for years. That's why we go out every January with a group. I want to go out there and ride the powder, but also see him, hang out with my little nephews and shred. But then, you know, a few years ago, he decided to set up his own snowboard brand, which is a massive, ballsy move, you know. And he, he's not the great one at, like, you know, getting people together. He'll just go and do that. So he'll spend three years, like, learning how to make boards like how to source the best wood but that is locally grown in japan and so i'm gonna i'm getting involved with that a little bit now to try and hope help him grow that on the side of things he doesn't like like introducing to people like maybe promoting it a little bit like helping with anything i can to do with like some of the design like get, we've got we've got toza doing a little video for us at the moment and trying yeah. to get put him in touch with someone to do someone that I know to do a bit of music for it and stuff. So I like doing that stuff and bringing people together, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, connecting, connecting those dots. Connections are good, aren't they, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. every scene, there's always those invisible, you know, if you look at the art world, there's always, well, in the art world, it's a, it's it's a, as respected as, as the artists, you know, like the curators, the people that, Curating, the, the, the people that, the patrons, the people that like put those scenes together, it's a it's, the it's, ones who weren't good enough to do it themselves, so they just bring everyone together. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, it's a finite lifespan, the uh, the top-level athlete career. <laughs> At some well. point, everybody's a punter. Yeah. It's very true. And, uh, you know, those that, that this is why I always have, like, these life episodes, that are, as, as they've become known on the podcast, though, because 
those characters and individuals are as important as whoever the flavor of the month fucking top professional is you know mm. um that's just a fact of the matter like the, the, those probably more important because those people tend to be around for you know the the long haul because it's all done for the love isn't it you know it's, it's just trying to live i guess it's just trying to yeah i mean it's there are lots of people out there just genuinely living a life working hard sometimes having a difficult time but actually if you if you decide that you that you want to do something based on something you love and you've got a passion for then i think you can do it and that's that's easier said than done depending on your you know initial kind of you know economic and social background but you can do it and i think people aren't encouraged enough to just think fuck it you can do it you know like i've i have set up probably four different businesses in my life and each one has just been like just just do it like buy the website go to the bank say i want to start a business just try it people often say to me about the lodge or whatever like oh god that's a ballsy move i was like i was like 22 i was like smoking far too much weed (laughs) and i just thought well let's give it a go I, i didn't even like why not and then you work hard at it and it might work it might not but i think my one of my one of my things has been you I would rather try and fail and not try at all and look back and regret it, you know? But that's that sort of Nye Bevan, Bill Shankly hmm. sort of view of socialism, though, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, which is a view that me and you share, but like it's, uh, it's, it's like about opportunities, isn't it? It's about, it's about like it yeah. enabling opportunity for people. It's not about like stripping wealth from people or like, no. you know, nationalizing. And it's about, it's about bringing everybody up so they have the same opportunities. That's that's kind of you know, which is a big part of your that, that sort of ethos, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that really should be there. And I suppose like you know, I, I was educated to a d- decent degree, and I wasn't from a, like a really impoverished background where like you know, I, I've done a lot of it for myself. But I had that kind of idea behind it from my education and from where I came from. But everyone should be able to have that, really, you know. And it's not that everyone can just go off and be like, "Hey, I want to do what I want to do." Because you have to work really hard as well and like pay the bills from it. But the confidence to do with it, unfortunately, in our society often often only comes to like those certain individuals who are driven, but a lot to those who pay for the kind of education that gives them the kind of like sense of entitlement yeah. that lets them go and do whatever they want to do because they they've been able to pay for it. Yeah, like certain people who are running our country at the moment. Well, that's why the changes, the social changes that have been going, at, I think, in our country are so insidious, really. Because I, I really look at my nephew. You know, I'm, I'm from a, I'm going to say, low middle class background in Manchester, and when I was, I was brought up like you can go to university, like, and you know, my mum's full working class, and she was like you're going to go to university. It's like classic working class thing, you know, mm. like I didn't get to go to university. So my kids are going to go to university because yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, that was like a proper thing in this country in, this, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Like, yeah. and, and like, you know, we did have the, like, it was free, you know. Yeah. You got a grant or you got a loan as it became. But yeah. even then at the time, that was like ridiculous. Yeah. And so, you know, I was born in 76, my mum did everything that she could to make sure that I had a good education and the best chance of going to university. I grew up thinking that was open to me, you know, like I could go to university. Yeah. Um, that was like a, and then obviously 
you bring in skateboarding, snowboarding, all these influences, the upshot is I'm getting out of Manchester. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to make my own path. Yeah. Because I believe those opportunities are open to somebody like me from the background that I'm from. Yeah. By no means rich. I look at my nephew now. My nephew's 18. He's from Clandudno. Mm. Um, can't go to university. Been brought up his whole life because he can't afford it. Because yeah. you got to pay. you got to yeah. get um, tuition fees. It's, you know, whatever it is crazy 20 30 grand a year well, whatever, the like whatever it is yeah that's no, ridiculous and um so all you know i've he's my wife's nephew so i met him when he was four hmm. all through his upbringing it was like he's no different from my upbringing but all through his upbringing it was basically like if you want to leave this town you got to join the army or you've got a like all well, that's it really you know there's no there's no choices to him or you're going to get a shit job hmm. And he's essentially, you know, that 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 is just a, a tragedy that like a kid like that never had the. It wasn't even on the radar that that he might have different opportunities. He's basically been put in that box since he was born. That's your life. Deal with it. And clearly, there's going to be some kids that have got the nous or the initiative to sort of break out from that. But it isn't like a cultural or institutional thing like it was when we were growing up and that is it's it's actually shocking really because it become it's become that opportunity like you said earlier is only available to rich people now who've who who can afford that type of education who get given that that thing and well, certainly lots more so in, unless you have unless you have some kind of like other like drive to do it it doesn't mean you can't do it and you can't do there's it, still but, ways to do it but it, there are more barriers to it now oh, than there were when we were that age completely for sure. yeah and, um, and you know you, you wonder what the kind of outcome is going to be really well yeah i don't know certainly like like it's like even the thing like both of us managed to go to university and do that not that it i think university is the fucking be all and end all but you know what i mean it's just like no but it's, it's an option to get it's out an option and it's or, an, or even for example when, an opportunity. I w- when i was that age there are friends of mine who were musicians now you know at that time you could like even just the fact that you could be, you could sign on the dole and you could do a few years of like playing music and learning to be that way. That there was a, there were, there were. There's room to develop. There was room to develop in different ways that weren't just in a very strict way, which is like you say at the moment, like you either go to school, get a job, stay local, pay your taxes, do that. Or you, you, you get a lot of debt to go to university or some kind of form of further learning. And then you pay that back over a long time. There's there's a, there's a very few people in the in the kind of in the cracks of that who've got the drive and the stuff to do. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's just yeah. it's about opportunity, isn't it? And it's not it's not there the same way as it was for us. No. And that's going to happen. That's this is a great segue to the it, B word. You were gonna say, <laughs> well, we, 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 we were thinking about this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like not. And this is like literally not that important in the major scale of the world. But it's going to happen with what's happening with like Brexit and everything with with skiing and snowboarding and the fact that you know it has always been you know when, when we were kids it was like something that you looked at and thought that's what rich people do and then yeah, for a while totally. and certainly from the 90s you know in the 90s and onwards there was a little like we somehow got into it you could just go and do it and it became you couldn't just go and, you couldn't go and do it if you had no money but it became cheaper and more affordable to people and it became well, it wasn't just a class thing it wasn't well it's still it's still 
it's easier if it's easier if you're from that background but yeah, like you know the fact again just well, culturally or whatever but culturally it became something that was open to it and i think snowboarding definitely helped that it gave skiing a big kick up the ass it, it opened it up to other people even just out of like uh the interest in it sort of thing yeah but it also became easier to do and as far as like you know a direct thing with our business we've always been able to you know we're not changing the world but we're offering like a really i think value for money offering like you know we've never you know it's not cheap to go for a week skiing or snowboarding it's always going to cost money with like the travel and the transfer and the accommodation and the lift pass and everything but it got to a stage where there were enough people out there offering the accommodation doing these things that you could people could do it and people from the kind of backgrounds that in the past couldn't could do it and i think you know to bring the old brexit thing in which you know I was going to try and avoid, but you can't really because it's looming at the moment. Is that, that you know, not that we actually know what's going to happen with it. That's going to make it really difficult. It's going to put us back like, you know, well, 20 another, or 30 it's years. It's another opportunity that will be taken away from people. Yeah. Like, and it's another of these hidden, I'm going to use the word insidious again because I think it's the right word for it, like effects of this. And this is why when when I get really wound up when people are like, oh, you know, politics, like it doesn't really matter it fucking does matter because these are decisions that like like change the fabric of a country and like you say in, in the wider scheme of things like fucking whether kids can go and do, whether working class kids have a route to go and do a season is pretty trivial yeah absolutely um, compared to what else is going on in the world right now but that is that will lead to the further widening of that opportunity gap on and that's happening up and down you know the country because of this isn't it absolutely those in britain who like you know who you know from cameron who like literally decided to chuck it out there to appease the like right wing of his own party and never thought it would happen to those who actually you know ideologically do you know are some kind of like weird right wingers who don't want it to just the people who were fooled in you know by the the, the stories of like you know having 300 million pounds a week more for the nhs we've now ended up in a position that's just really f has already for four years and is for like a, like probably a generation can take a generation of people to kind of come around to both here and in Europe. And it is only going to make it, I can't see any positives for anyone other than those like massive institutions, big corporations and extremely rich people. Yeah. And the rest of us are just going to be like not knowing what's going on for a long time, going to cost us a lot more financially is going to strip away like like not even the financial thing but like that idea of like feeling part of europe being you know like you, you know me i'm really proudly welsh i've lived in england i feel like welsh i feel british i feel european i like that idea that we could travel and go around europe and be part of these other cultures and do that that separation and that idea of like somehow kind of fighting for the otherness harking back to some like misguided ideas of like of empire and superiority of britain is ridiculous. I'm proud to be British. I mean, I was raving about the NHS and how that's, that's, um, you know, just healed me recently. And I'm really proud of that. Those, those, those things that our country has done, but it doesn't mean you have to do that at the expense of other people and being part of this wonderful group of like other countries that we could all move between and, you know, mix with and learn from like different languages, different cultures, all that stuff whilst keeping our own identity. There's no reason why you can't do that. No. And financially, yeah, we're, 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 we're going to be fucked for years. Um, so how how is it going to affect the business, do you think? 
Because um, you've been sort of dealing with it for a while, haven't you? It's already affected the business massively. I mean, you know, since, since was it June 2016? I mean, like, the, the, the year before that, we had one of our best years in ages. Um, just we, uh, And then, e- even just because of the original, the initial um, result, and the first thing that really affected us was just the, the exchange rate changed, and, and it stayed the same since. So, Ultimately, just because of that, the following year we had exactly the same occupancy, but our costs, because you know, and this isn't woe is me, but like, you know, we plan our, we're very close to the bone. If 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 you know it, it employs me, Will, and like two members of staff, and we just get by, but and we plan it really close so we can keep it cheap and everyone, you know, we, we want a certain type of person there, and it just meant that our costs went up between well. It, at least 10 let's say 15 percent really in the next year and, it, and that just wiped out all our profit like well in fact we lost money the next year even though we were as full as the year before and the exchange rate has stayed the same for four years so that dropped which basically means then you have to up your prices there's no other thing you can do if you want to survive which means as we were discussing earlier you're sort of pushing out certain people who who you know yeah, you're moving it to a point where, like, you know, it's becoming a more exclusive, more expensive thing to do to go for a week's skiing or snowboarding. Yeah, and not just for us, but everything that then you're spending, like, as a as a Brit, is more expensive because of the exchange rate. And we're sitting here on Saturday, the sixth of December. Yeah, apparently Boris Johnson's speaking to the head of the European Union today. It, it, we're supposed to leave the European Union in on the thirty first of. December, so basically three weeks' time, four weeks' time, and we still don't know what the fuck's happening. So, n- as a business, and like let's like, a, we still don't really know. I mean, what it, what it the the simple things are, you know, our staff are going to be on. You know, w- we've already changed to to having like you know we're a, we've got a French branch for our business. We'll you know we'll have our staff on French contracts over in France. It will cost us more money to do that, and that's fine. Like, we, why not, you know, pay the taxes you should in the con- country that you're working in, you know? For Will, for example, he's chosen to live there, so that's where he's going to be. The, the, the model of, like, British chalets that's going to affect the industry much more is the fact that we used to have, like, people coming, they would employ, like, local local managers but then those staff that came for the season would work on a six-month contract and on a, still on a british contract and go back that's going to be done with now you know yeah that's gonna that, i mean that's the game changer isn't it that's the game changer as far as like that that model of the of the ski chalet which you know for anyone in britain will know any any of anyone who's listening who's not from that won't really understand that like it's a very british thing where you don't just go on a ski or snowboard holiday and you you go out there and you stay in a hotel or a, an apartment it's a very the chalet is a very interesting thing, isn't it? It's, it's like very a, cult- Brit, like you say, British cultural. It's a very British cultural thing, thing yeah. Like, so we do that. You come out, you stay with us. We're kind of like halfway between a. It's a, great. A host- <laughs> it is, yeah, because you're in. You've, you've got your ho- you've got your room. You do that, but then you eat with everyone else. You eat the same food. You all socialise together. You hang out with the staff, or especially with us, we do. I know with some chalets, the higher end ones, the staff are like prohibited from hanging out with the guests. Yeah. Whereas. You know, I went on a holiday a few years ago with a mate of mine for a few days where the staff, I kept asking them to come for a drink and they wouldn't, and then they told me they weren't allowed to. 
I would almost say if we had any written rules for our staff, it's like that you have to <laughs> go out for a drink with the staff or go riding with them or whatever, you know. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a communal thing where you, you meet different people and you hang out together and do that. But well, it's very and, much... And not to bring it back to the class thing, it is, it is one of those... Because like, you've got chalets that are staffed by people that are out there working seasons because it's the only way they can get out there rubbing shoulders with yeah. people that can afford to spend you know one two grand a week on a holiday like it's it's one of those yeah one of those uniquely british setups that you've got isn't it where it's well it reflects the whole british glass system as well because we're yeah. so <laughs> cause we're obvi- i mean you know it's been a big theme of this conversation really but we're you know we are such a ludicrously class obsessed nation aren't we and you know, it is yeah. it is a kind of like per- perfect encapsulation of that, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I and I but and the thing with the lodges, I've always thought like you know we you know we've we've always been really honest about like the standard of our accommodation is is like really simple. The standard of our service is really great. The standards of our food, like the the kind of the way that our people, our staff, interact, the way that we care about what you do is really important. But we we ain't five star, and our rooms aren't amazing. You yeah. know, uh, we haven't got a hot tub. You know. Uh, and the the important thing is about getting together and mixing with people. And I've always spoken to every guest, so I try and make sure I I get an idea of if people will get on. But sometimes you get the the most crazy weeks with like you know a family from here of of this kind of like you know let's say background and whatever with these group of kids here, and they just get on so well. And and bringing people together like that is a really important thing about the lodge. It doesn't really happen in a lot of ski chalets, and and I think my 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 fear and again it's not like you know it's, it's first world problems isn't it but it, it will mean that maybe for a couple of years it's gonna be very very difficult for people who haven't got a certain level of income like there's a lot of, i was chatting to a really good friend of ours sam sammy the other day who comes out a lot and we were discussing the fact that for him and his kids who are now got to that age where they could start to go on like proper shred holidays where the kids could both get on a snowboard or like you know they're at that age they're not like three or four they're kind of like getting up to that age of like six seven eight and he was saying i just I, I couldn't afford for you know him his partner his two kids to do it the, the cost of that is going up so much if i wasn't running the lodge even back in the day i wouldn't have been able to afford to take sarah and the girls out and do it because it is still an expensive thing to do mm. but it's going to become more expensive and the worry is that culturally it's going to change that and it's going to become the preserve of like the rich and the elites at least for a few years whilst also really damaging local economies out there as well because you know the, like in teen and that you know they are aware that like that the, the biggest you know in, in teen for example it's french british a little bit dutch a little bit scandinavian this year is going to kill them you know mm. like locally all those local shops and bars and yeah whether they're french run british run whatever run they're in, and then for years it's going to be hard to bring that back unless you're in maybe some of those like ultra elite resorts where the people who go there literally like whatever happens in the world doesn't affect them. Yeah, the same people that have not really been affected by COVID. COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're going to bypass it in their private jets. <laughs> well, the pri- like the Courchevel private jet crew who yeah. just like they don't care, do they, you know? Oh, there's a two-week quarantine. Oh, we'll all just like get a private jet and go to like. Yeah, it's exactly. not on the list this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, you might. It's funny, isn't it? Because in the widest, like we've been saying, in the in the wider scheme of things, yeah, it's all obviously like fairly trivial stuff. But it is real in our little world, and um, 
yeah like it's it's another example of like as a kid growing up in south wales or like manchester now like mm. in or in like five ten years gonna gonna think that's a viable option for them well it won't be an easy route for a start not even viable but like even just get like i don't know i mean even finding finding out about it was one thing and that was certainly part of our time yeah but yeah it's a viable option i mean even yeah like you say deciding you could apply for a job i mean the the reason oh for my brother first went out to the alps was that when we had gone on one ski holiday and seen a snowboard and rented it for a week in 1986 and battered ourselves and they wouldn't let us on the lifts and then that was it and then when he finished school when he was 18 a girl he fancied and i'm, I'm putting this out there oh went <laughs> went and did whose family skied went and did got a job with crystal holidays did the chalet girl thing you know did the classic thing which she was from a middle class family in like just enabled her to go and do a ski season but i know so many people that did that as well absolutely like, yeah but his thing was like i want to go out and see her so he just blagged a bit of stuff and just went out there without a job when he got there he blagged a job for that company because some kid who couldn't handle the pressure left and he got the job and that enabled him to do it and then he rang me and said hey you know that snowboard thing we tried 10 years ago you want to come back out here it's different there's soft boots and it's like skateboarding on snow so i went out for like the last three weeks of the season and that's why we got into it and he you know he was able to do that because you know his friend beth did this they were able to do that it enabled them to go out to the alps live there meet different people learn a different language learn a different culture meet friends that like we've got from all over the world now from like you know like i mean the fact that he's living in japan i've got great friends who've worked for me and we've met from all over europe and the states and whatever you know yeah that is going to be curtailed and it, it isn't the most important thing in the world at the moment but it is important and brexit is well it's just it's just we don't even know what's happening yet do we but no, it's, it's going but to it, it's going to fuck the but those are the, those are the those are the repercussions and you yeah. know and your business is gonna my be, business might not survive i don't yeah. know yet. Yeah, exactly. And we've got another good friend who, um, you know, has had a successful business in the Alps. So I've got, fuck, I've got loads of friends who've got businesses in the Alps mm. who are now, you know, got a friend who's run a business taking bands out to the Alps for 20 years. He's you stopped it. He's, he's just binned it. Yeah. Just binned it off. Just like, okay, well, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially the, I mean, the double whammy of Brexit approaching and COVID. And no season because of COVID. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a petition doing the rounds, isn't there, at the minute? Because it will come into effect on the 31st. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of those chalet companies that you referred to, your crystals, you know, I, th I, th I think they're sort of like almost like not going to have seasons this year, really, for that for that like a combination lot. of COVID and these regulations. Well, the the COVID thing, I think that the chalet holiday thing, as far as like you know. The way it worked was, you know, the, the fact that people had their rooms and then everyone came down and ate together and socialised together. I, I don't see how that can happen. I can see some chalet companies seem to still be promoting that. I, I don't know how that can work on a practical level with the, with the current like um, regulations that are probably going to stay in, in line at least till the end of this winter season in April. And that's why we at the lodge, like me and Will, decided like just sack that off completely and yeah you went self-catering right? well we're we're lucky that we could actually we could actually separate 
our building, the lodge itself, into four different self-catered apartments. So we just went, decided to make that call, which then unfortunately meant that, you know, we're just employing me and Will, but we look, we had to say to, you know, my chef, Dan, who's been with me for, I mean, Dan first worked for me 10, 12 years ago, you know. Right. And Steve, they're like, sorry, guys, no job for you this winter. You know, so that's two of that, two people out of work. But it means that we've cut our costs back. We're doing a self-catering only thing. It's safe. Yeah. It gives us the best possibility of, of getting through stuff and possibly doing a few catering weeks at April if if things go well. But I don't know how the rest of those businesses are going to go, you know, the big ones, but also a lot of small ones. I've got a lot of friends with small chalets. And I think our lucky thing is we have always stayed just 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 us just one yeah the bigger companies will be harder but those mid companies that like are run by really good people there's some really great people running things that like really care about putting on a good a good well, Nick product and Nick and Ralph yeah yeah they are like friends of ours that run a what you would call a medium shallow business that's a business that's been around you know since Ralph's the, dad ran since that since the 80s yeah mm. well, that's like a an established family business that's been around for abs I mean you know, no idea if it's going to be affected or not, but you would, imagine, you would imagine it will. And Don't know if he'll survive it. And that's one of those things you can be as glib as you want, but that's like a, a family that's, you know, about like, oh, who cares about skiing? And, you know, like, yeah. but it, that that's a real thing. That's like, that, you know, family business that's been around for years. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, a butcher being closed down in the high street because there's a big supermarket being opened. In that way, it's a small it's a small business that nobody cares about, and maybe the big ones will be able to like shutter everything and come back, or there'll be nothing for a couple of years. But those people will lose their livelihoods, and some of them might have like loans and stuff that will take a lot longer to come back from, and and they'll be personally on them because they're not owned by a big company that might have like a summer operation or a cruise line operation that might be to get them through. Yeah, although they're probably in. To be honest with you, like I say, we're probably we're probably in a better position. We've only got. It's just a lodge. It's just me and Will. I mean, we haven't paid. I haven't paid me or Will for four months. We we're like batting down the hatches. If we can get to the winter, survive this winter, have a bit of a summer, we might better carry on. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it was bad enough before COVID. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Everyone was like, "Wow, next winter is going to be weird." Yeah, and then the co- I mean, the, the cost thing is a difficult thing. That it, so if it does go through, like the cost thing, like I, I've got my ideas, I know roughly, but it, it pains me to think like that. The simple thing is to like like the industry standard. They're almost saying like, really, you need to increase your cost by thirty percent to to cover issues with the exchange rate, issues with like bureaucracy, issues with extra taxation because of the, the not being in the European Union more thirty percent. Yeah, on top of what I'm charging already, it's I, one I, of the, I can't do that. It's people, one of those things, on it as well, like where, and it reminds me a little bit of what you were saying earlier about when you were talking about how people on the dole, for example, when we were younger, could like it gave you breathing space to like yeah. have an opportunity, and it's the same sort of thing. You know, you're you you didn't set up that business to make a thirty to to have that up thirty percent margin so you could rinse people. You set up your business so you could. I wanted to have a living. Yeah, out you wanted to have like a living there, something that you loved, and yeah. you wanted to have a community thing, which is what you've established. And mm. and yeah, you could just up your up your um your prices thirty percent, and you could you could suddenly like cater for like an upper class market. You know, you could do that. You've got the tools. You've run this business for like twenty twenty five years, but you know, it's like we were saying earlier about this sort of what type of society do you want to live in? You know, like is 
it's it's not always about just making money it's not always about just like no. how much can you rent people for it's and and th th that's one of the things that is going to be lost for you isn't it if you've got to suddenly make that basically very functional economic decision you know I, well yeah i think i think it'll be lost for a lot of people as well isn't it you know i mean it's it think you know making a living is so hard for so many people and and you know i have been really lucky that i've I've worked hard to make sure that I can earn a living doing something I love, and I've not really wanted to do anything more than that. You know, I've never, I never wanted to expand the lodge, or like people have asked me to, to like expand it, franchise it, move it to different places, and it, it just wouldn't be the same without me and Will, or at the beginning me and O, or then me and Dan, and very much now it's like you know you're talking to me here, but like Will is the lodge in Teen. He's the person on the ground that everyone meets. He is equally part of it it's part of us as like it's more like being i don't know like a crafts person rather than someone who's like like looking at how you can mass manufacture yeah exactly that's know? what i mean it's like it, it's like is there room for somebody to to like just do something honestly and purposefully because it because it's good for their local community or should you upscale and you know like have a fast fashion factory and exploit mm. people you know it's that it's that it kind of that. And I emblematic think debate isn't it yeah of, and the current like situation is making it very very difficult for for people in any any kind of industry or any kind of occupation who aren't those massive companies you know without like because I mean, even look at the whole covid thing like certain companies have done incredibly well out of it yeah of course they're they only the really massive ones and the, people who, yeah, <laughs> and the people who work from them aren't doing any better and they they could pay them more they could do that but once you get that big and that model of like you know oh my god we're going to the like the you know modern western capitalist model is just really it's kind of a bit tragic really to see isn't it you know and, and there is still place for people you know like there's still people who work and who are talented you know just before this podcast i was messaging scope about a new piece he's done that people will see and i won't talk about a and he's doing so well, you know, and he was giving me a bit of a pep talk about this because I was worried about it, you know, and we had the same chat about get four cans of Guinness, you'll be all right. <laughs> you know, people like that, he's got his head down, he's working hard, he's, so it is possible to do it through this. He's ha he's lost business probably, lost like some of his kind of maybe, you know, commercial work or whatever, but you can do it. But it's basically going to make it much harder, Brexit anyway, and then the whole world that we're in at the moment for X amount of years. Uh, and I just hope that people can can kind of understand that and maybe come together and try and get through it a bit and try and like maybe start thinking a little bit about trying to support all sorts of small businesses and 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 people who. I don't know what else to say about that, really. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because even what I was just thinking then, like, God, about we sound like a right couple of old hippies. But, mm. you know, like, it's it's funny, again, like, how quickly what used to be concepts that were just not at all old-fashioned or controversial, like, community, you know, the things that we're talking about have mm. become quite old-fashioned and, and quite a, you know, quite an out-of-date thing. It's it is it's a bit of a shame really because and and it does it does make you wonder where it's where it's going to end john you know where is it going to end but 
in all seriousness, those are the, those are the hidden consequences of like seismically seismic generational shifts like Brexit, you know, which is yeah. which is why it's um, quite annoying. <laughs> it's ultimately just a bit sad because it's just you know like apart from all the kind of you know I voted Remain obviously yeah but like apart from all the just economic uh, it's gonna you know, it's taken four years it's gonna be like it's gonna be like a whole generation of people before it, well, however it settles down it settles down it's more just the idea that it's just sad that idea of like pushing apart rather than coming together you know as much as like as much as there's problems with the european union as, as far as like the actual running of it and the bureaucracy the very idea of a union of all those pre all those european countries that you know within the lifetime of people that are actually still alive in britain there was a world war and then in our time you know i remember going on going into railing when i was in mean, 89 or something the year that like the ex-Yugoslavia fell apart mm. and part of our route was through there and we were like yeah oh, we can't that's do when that. the war came down wasn't it yeah so I turned it around and we went around the other way like but that's happening you know, Europe has been fighting people and now we're not and the idea of Britain deciding like oh, let's break away from that that'd be a good idea let's just like separate ourselves let's make ourselves different from all those people that we've got so much contact with and we trade with and we culturally exchange things with is, is a really sad thing you know yeah no I agree I agree yeah, well, we're going to see. Mm. That's for sure. So you mentioned Ireland earlier. Yeah. Which is the, you know, essentially like the snowboard company you're in. Well, your brother started it, but you're involved, right? It's my brother's company. It's fully his. Like he's, like I say, he's he's always been really, he's my little brother and he's always been the one that has like had the ideas and, and the balls to go and do stuff really. So he lives in Japan. He moved out there 15 years ago. He spent that time like riding, guiding, and now he's spent three years developing, testing, and set up his own snowboard company called Island Snowboards. Yeah, it's amazing. It I mean, really I, I've got to say, when we were over there in in January and we went around to his place and kind of saw what he'd set up there, and also like how fucking good the boards are, I was yeah, I was blown away really. Oh, the, I mean, I know it sounds weird, but like the first time I actually went out there and rode a board, which is like three years ago. It was that moment where you think, oh, God, what if it's shit? Yeah. You know, <laughs> my brother's made this board. It's the first test. And, like, it's, they're really good boards, you know. He, he he just, he's just that kind of, he's always been that kind of character who, like, puts his mind to something and he'll do it properly. And we're, he's doing it slowly. He's not trying to, you know, he got these, he got people wanting to invest and he said, no, he's doing it with his friend Stu. It's, it's his concept. Stu's helping with the kind of more of the kind of admin side of it. And I've got a little bit. You know, I've got a little like 10% sort of in it to try and help in any way I can. And maybe if it grows to develop it in Europe. But they've just launched it this year. The website's up. The boards have been, it's like the third year of the boards now. He's just moved to a new, a lovely little new kind of workspace. Literally, there's literally Yotte, some fields and the new factory that he's been building. And fact by factory, I mean like workshop. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so he's, he's producing boards now that are for sale. I think because of everything that's happened, they're taking it slowly. He's got, he's selling things locally. If anyone is interested, we will definitely have them in Europe next year. And the idea is like to do that kind of artisan local thing, you know, starting off with one shape that works really well, four sizes for men and women. It's designed to ride in powder, but it can, it can carve so beautifully on, 
on like you know European hardback. I you know Will and I have ridden them in the Alps. Well, I was going to say when we were out there, you and Will were riding them. Neil McNair was riding one as well, right? Yeah, McNair and was Hamish riding. was riding Hamish, one. Hamish was riding them. Yeah, all four very very good snowboarders mm. and uh, yeah, there's, everyone was pretty stoked on them from what I could see. Well, I haven't. I mean, I, we've been lucky enough to be. I, I haven't bought a snowboard for like a long long time. I, I, we've had great snowboards given to us from various partners over the years. Do you remember we, that Endeavour story, actually? <laughs> oh, God, yeah, let's not go there. Don't worry, I won't bring that yeah. up. <laughs> but, like, great boards like that, and, you know, Will rides yes boards, and, you know, but I haven't ridden another board, sorry, Max, since I rode the 53 Island, and I rode that in Japan. I rode that from Yote. I rode the 58 down Yote last year. I rode the 53 in Teen on like big lines. I rode like the first line down Grappion last year with Will on that. Rode it in the spring. They're great. They're just really great all-round boards. And it's just a proper, honest company that we're going to hopefully build slowly from the bottom up and try and make something out of in these crazy times. Yeah, I think people dig it. It's a great story as well. Mm. You always need the good tale. It's real. It's real. Yeah. And, you know, he literally did have the little lock up in the garden didn't he i mean fucking hell the life that he's carved out for himself over there i mean talk about envy inducing i mean not that it was not that he just woke up with a snowboard workshop at the end of his garden one day you know (laughs) dedicate his life to it obviously and yes yeah um but they live in a beautiful place it's really really incredible it's very much him like you know every people might know about nisako and that's definitely become more popular these days you know you've been there years ago it's changed but it's very much oh that he lives two miles outside Niseko, up a little road in the middle of the woods with like two neighbours who are both half a mile apart and he started his business from two shipping containers that he bought and set up in the bottom of his garden. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's epic. Mm. Yeah. So when's the next time you think you'll get over there? Uh, we, Matt, will be there. Yeah, right. Well, January I've got 2022. I've got unfinished business because I made have. a very fateful decision um, when we were last there, which was, so we were there in January yeah, basically my family from Australia, my sister and her kids were there. That their first time in snow. Yeah, the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was rad on that. Yeah, it was great. Um, but last day, Yote, and I actually said, no, I'm not going to go up because I'm going to hang out with my family because I don't know, I'm going to see him again. And uh, that was one of the more painful nights of recent <laughs> years when everyone got down and was like, well, Chris Moran, I mean, a man who's definitely had a lot of good snowboard runs in his life yeah. he was like i was like how was it he's like top five runs of my life yeah. he was like oh fucking hell really and he's like yeah you, you fucked up but you know yeah. now obviously i'm so glad that i did that because fucking you had God those times with family when i'm gonna see them again and we can do it again next year yeah yeah i've definitely it's one of my goals to get back i was just i had a text from a few friends the other day in fact saying will you definitely be back for that? And I'm like, I will be back and I am going to do Yote again in January 2022 and you have to come with me. Yeah, I'll be there. I'm okay. for it. Let's do it. Yeah, man. Well, how was it? Um, <laughs> You've been so worried about this. I know, I've just talk, talked a lot of shit, haven't I? No, I mean, like, everyone four, says that. Everyone four empty cans again, yes. Um, it's you, so it's okay. Yeah, I was really shitting myself before it, man. <laughs> gotta say, so gotta say thanks to all of my, everyone, like from like you know Sarah and Lola, who said you should do it. To like, Scove texted me going, "You got it, man." That's so funny. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll see, won't we? Yeah, man. Well, thanks for doing it. That's all right. Should we, have another, should we have another beer? Yeah, let's do it. So there you go. That was me and John Bassett, also known as John Dragon. Hope you enjoyed it. Such a legendary character. It took a lot of persuading to get John on the show. And uh, he subsequently told me that he'd had to get a bit of uh, coaching from other previous guests, notably Scofe, which made me laugh. Anyway, I was really stoked that he got over his initial reticence to come on the show and share his story. For me, also, it's just great to do one in person. Again, second one I've done in person this year after Ben Monday, well, post-COVID, after Ben Monday. And it was great. Something I said on Instagram, but if you are planning your next snowboard or ski trip, please consider booking somewhere like Dragon Lodge. In case you've not gathered yet, for me, these are the heart and soul of our community, these locations, and we're going to miss them more when they're gone then I think we realize you know they're, they're all over the world as well if you wherever you are listening to this in the world you're going to know somewhere like this and if you've got the choice you should definitely book with these places and back them rather than the bigger spots because you know they really are a part of our culture and as we were talking about in the in the conversation you know, it feels like this is a bit of a moment in time albeit like a few decades but it might be gone forever which is a really horrifying thought and you can vote with your dollars or your pounds or your lira, whatever it is, and um, and help keep it going a little while longer. I actually saw John a few days after this and he just about recovered, although he did say he'd woken up in a cold sweat and wondered if we chatted about Brexit and COVID and politics a little bit too much. Now, I think regular listeners have probably got an inkling of my politics right now. It's true things do get a little bit political on here, especially over Instagram as well where I particularly tie my political colours to the mast and I do get the occasional comment you know the old stay in your lane or people saying stuff like I come here for a bit of escapism mate fuck off with the politics and yeah it does lose me followers but whatever really you know whenever anyone does say something like that we are in housekeeping corner territory in case you're wondering I just always remember that old George Orwell line from his essay why I write which is the opinion that art should have nothing to do with politics is itself a political attitude. Now, that is obviously true. And people that come out with that stuff to me and, you know, to whoever are also ignoring the obvious truth that politics affects us all, whether you care about it or not. Yes, even in our humble little world. And if you don't realise that, then you've probably not been listening that closely, especially to type two. I mean, take John's story and the tale about how he might be able how he might be about to lose his business through no fault of his own or take the point i was clumsily grasping for when i was talking about my nephew and what his story tells us about the opportunities that are available to kids like him or think of that petition that's been doing the rounds in the uk about seasonal workers it all involves politics whether you like it or not you know arguing about covid and the vaccine spoiler alert politics i mean what is facebook but the world's shittest and stupidest political debating forum one reason why i'm not on there to be quite honest with you but anyway i make no apologies for that creeping into this episode i mean it's what me and john talk about and the point of these conversations is that we have a natural conversation like we would have which we did so it'll be cropping up now and again and i hope you can stick with me thanks for this one john much appreciated and thanks for the good times over the years there's going to be plenty more I just know that. That's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with more of the usual. But in the meantime, have a good one. Nice one.